Good day. You're listening to the 89th edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe in Montreal. Thank you so much for being with us. It is Tuesday, the 25th of January. On the program today, I'm going to be visiting a conversation that I had with Shireen Razak, uh, who is currently a professor in California. She is the Chair of Women's Studies in the Department of Gender Studies at the University of California in Los Angeles. Shireen is a feminist critical race scholar. Her research and teaching focuses on racial violence. I had a conversation with Shireen um, a few years ago. I'm visiting the archives here on Free City Radio um, after having had COVID. Uh, next week, we will be having some recent interviews, but this week I wanted to take the opportunity to share this conversation with Shireen Razak. It's regarding torture and Canada. Um, this is important today. Um, first, I will say that Canada is a signatory to the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane, or Degrading Treatment, um, which is a convention that is recognized by the United Nations. Uh, Canada signed in 1987. Uh, the convention was first established in 1984. Uh, this was important uh, in many respects. Grassroots activists campaigning around the world demanded for a convention against torture to be established internationally. The process then was uh, towards ratification and Beyond ratification, what does the convention look like on the ground and how is it implemented or not? And I had a conversation with Shireen Razak about this convention uh, at the time because uh, we were dealing with a situation where the Canadian government was directly involved and implicated in the torture of a Canadian citizen, uh, Abu Sufyan Abdurazak, uh, who is a Sudanese Canadian who was jailed and detained in Sudan, tortured in prison in Khartoum in Sudan. And this case continues to be within the Canadian court system until today. Um, I would just underline that our conversation revolves around the ways that torture has become normalized post 9-11. This is through various agencies within Canada, including the Security um, Intelligence Service CSIS, the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service, but also um, within the military infrastructure of the Canadian state, where um, the use of torture has become, um, by association, normalized, uh, as we saw in the case of Abu Sufyan Abdurazak, who was jailed in Sudan at the request of the Canadian government. Um, until today, there's never been a, a formal legal process where the people who are involved in Abu Sufyan Abdurazak's jailing and torture were um, basically uh, had to face justice. And uh, this is not the only case, but this case continues to go through the legal system. And uh, by... Last winter, February 2021, as reported by the Globe and Mail, the federal government had spent $9.3 million in uh, efforts to try to win a lawsuit that Abu Sufyan Abdurazak has brought against the Canadian government for his torture in Sudan. 
so this actually is a case that has not been resolved. Um, and we recorded this conversation with Shireen Razik live on CKUT, just as a federal court was forcing Canada to return Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik to Montreal. Um, but the legal sort of fallout from this case, the legal blowback uh, has continued and is not resolved in terms of the um, lawsuit that Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik has leveled against the Canadian government. So under successive conservative and liberal governments, we have seen the defense of Canada's actions through the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service and foreign affairs officials who were directly involved in the jailing and torture of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik in Sudan, not facing justice. Um, a CBC report um, from 2018 in relation to this lawsuit quotes a Sudanese official uh, from federal court documents who said, all of the trouble started because Canada sent a security officer who's redacted the name, who talked to the Sudanese security division and told them to hold Mr. A, uh, Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik. And so what we see in terms of the current liberal government is an unwillingness to actually address the legal implications of the fact that successive conservative and liberal governments in Canada post 9-11 have been linked to the normalization of torture. What does this look like on a case-by-case -case basis? When we see the case of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik, what we don't see is a legal resolution. And we see, in fact, the government pouring millions of dollars into sustaining efforts to block Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik from achieving justice. And I think it's continually important for us to think about the ways that torture is normalized in the Canadian context and to think about the fact that this is a very striking case that has not been resolved under the current Liberal government of Justin Trudeau, despite all the rhetoric about uh, shift in policy post-conservative Stephen Harper administration. Um, this is all important to think about because the normalization of torture post 9-11 has continued and I think it's important to look at specific cases. This is a case of a man who li now lives in Montreal and is continuing to demand justice in 2022. Um, so this is a conversation I had with Shireen Razik, who is a feminist scholar who has followed this case in detail. And I recorded this live on CKUT with Sama Elabiari, um, who is an activist from um, the Muslim community here in Montreal. She's very involved in a number of uh, different organizations including the Canadian Council of Muslim Women and other organizations. So here's our conversation with Shireen Razak. I think it's important to continue to think about these cases and the normalization of torture and how that plays out in specific examples because this will actually illustrate how the rhetoric plays out on an individual legal level in relation to essential questions which are in this case, revolving around 
the allowance for the normalization of the torture of a Canadian citizen. I was Sufyan Abdul Razik. Good afternoon, Professor Shreen Razik. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us. Our program today is uh, being broadcast in light of the return to Canada of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik and the grassroots campaign across the country uh, for Abdul Razik's return to Canada. We just heard about um, the reality of torture of Canadian citizens and also, of course, today is the United Nations International Day in support of victims of torture. Um, I was wondering, Dr. Shreen Razik, if you could offer your thoughts on the ways in which torture after 9-11 has entered the political discussion in this country. We're seeing a lot more discussion of torture, a lot more reality of Canadian citizens being tortured, those citizens coming from Arab and Muslim backgrounds. What is your commentary on what many have called an increasing normalization of torture? Well, I guess the first thing to note is that what is circulating about torture is a very specific narrative, and that's the narrative that torture works and that it is necessary. So those are the two things that circulate throughout popular discourse, throughout uh, legal discourses, and so on. And those ideas are virtually unchallenged in the popular media, which is really quite dangerous because in the scholarly literature, they're Mm -hmm. quite disputed. So you see the circulation of those two ideas, torture is necessary and that it produces results, uh, circulating more than it ever has before. And it joins a second idea, which is that some people, in this case Muslims, are so, by nature, so violent and so dangerous that only torture will assist us to protect ourselves from them. So that's the second idea that is circulating around torture, and it is a very old-fashioned racist idea that is circulating. Can you expand on that? Um, I think a lot of people would believe that we're living in a society that has overcome racism. Well, confronted with the threat of terrorism, which is an undeniable threat, what we have done as a society is harnessed our fears to some long-standing racist ideas. The notion, for example, that people of color or people of Muslim origin or Arab origin are somehow inherently violent, inherently primitive. They don't treat their women right. They're not committed to democracy. These are old ideas about the nature of a people. So it's not really the nature of a terrorist. It's the nature of all of those societies. And if anyone is a part of those societies, even remotely, then you're sort of tarred with the same brush. You're sort of made into someone who is of a culture and who has a secret nature of violence. And that really is a racist construct when people are judged as inferior or as dangerous based on where they come from Mm -hmm. and what their racial makeup is. What responsibility do you feel that people in Canada have to address this this narrative that you've talked about, which, I mean, in very literal terms, if we want to understand what torture is, is extremely disturbing? Well, the basic responsibility is to insist on something very simple, which is the rule of law. 
that sums up our responsibility as citizens, that we should insist that no group is evicted from the law, no group is denied their fundamental rights, which is to say that if you are suspected of involvement with terrorism, there has to be a charge, there has to be evidence, you cannot be detained indefinitely, and of course you cannot be tortured. This is actually what we need to do to be safe. Because the circulation of racist narratives and practices of torture do not keep us safe. Uh, Professor Sharin, I'm uh, Sama Elibiari. I want to share with you those uh, remarks here. Earlier on the program, we read a commentary that was sent to the Globe and Mail by Meher Arar and was published today in the Globe and Mail. And under comments, I read here the editor note, comments have been closed on this story because an overwhelming number of readers were making offensive statements about other commenters and or the individual or individuals mentioned in the story. Now, those mentioned in the story are men who have suffered torture, and yet the comments received by the Globe and Mail were so offensive that the editor found that he had to turn off this feature. This was most troubling to me. Would you like to comment, please? Well, it is, you know, downright frightening. And I guess the first comment that I would make is that torture itself, as well as the stories about torture, are actually meant to teach us something. They're meant to teach us who belongs to the national community and who doesn't. And that is what they accomplish. So you get massive numbers of people who think, in fact, that Muslims do not belong to the national community and are not deserving of their fundamental rights. And that really is the damage of torture. So while it doesn't surprise me that so many Canadians can be so not simply racist, but so willing to deny these absolutely fundamental rights, it disheartens me and it pains me. And of course, what it really does is it frightens me. And that's what it's meant to do. It works in that sense. I, like so many other Canadians who have names that are not Anglo-Saxon, are, you know, properly worried that we will not be protected by this nation, that we do not belong to this nation. And I think that's the lesson from this. Right. Do you think that because Canada has always been a peaceful country, people here have not seen any close relatives of them tortured? This is not a reality. And also, when we see violence on TV, it seems to be acceptable. So those two, I would say, excuses, I'm not trying to excuse anyone, but can this explain why people feel insensitive to torture? Well, they feel insensitive to torture because they've had a relentless number of stories for a very long time that make the case that torture is not only permissible but necessary. So they are desensitized to it. Some Canadians know very well about torture. I think we should recall here Canadians of color and in particular Aboriginal Canadians and black Canadians who understand how they're treated by the police. So it's not all Canadians who are desensitized, but all of us have been given such a story about torture in the past few years in particular that it is very hard to cut through 
it, it's a bit like, you know, when someone is accused of a crime, even when they're proven innocent later on, the sort of smell of the accusation lingers, and people think always to themselves, well, I wonder, he must have done something wrong if, if they had arrested him. There must be something there. And I think there's a little bit of that going on. In addition to the story that somehow or the other, if your name is this particular kind of name or you look like this particular kind of person or you come from a certain region, there really is no hope for you. Dr. Shireen Rezik, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. You're welcome. Uh, Dr. Shireen Razak is an author of multiple uh, books and teaches at the University of Toronto, and uh, she joined us on the program today, which is focused on the case of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razak on this International Day to Remember Victims of Torture. Abu Sufyan Abdul Razak is, of course, a Montrealer who was tortured in Sudan, and after a long grassroots campaign, will be returning to Montreal. This is CKUT 90.3 FM, people-powered radio. You can find us online at www.ckut.ca. That was a conversation with Shireen Rusick, uh, who is a feminist scholar and is currently teaching in California. Um, Shireen is the chair of women's studies in the Department of Gender Studies at the University of California in L.A. and is a feminist critical race scholar. Uh, her research and teaching focuses on racial violence. Uh, she's published uh, a number of books, um, one of them in relation to this specific topic that we were addressing today, which was the normalization of torture post 9-11, was a book that she published called Casting Out the Eviction of Muslims from Western Law and Politics. I would really encourage you to check out that book uh, by Shireen Razak. Um, she's also written extensively about the systemic treatment of Indigenous women in Canada, uh, and that is explored in a different book called Dying from Improvement, Inquests and Inquiries into Indigenous Deaths in Custody. That was published in 2015. I share this uh, interview with Shireen today on Free City Radio uh, as part of an ongoing effort to follow up on the case of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik. I was involved directly in that case as an activist in a support committee. Um, I just want to underline that this case is not resolved until 2021, as it's reported in the Globe and Mail. The Canadian government has spent $9.3 million in trying to block Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik's demands for justice in uh, the framework of a lawsuit against the Canadian government's direct involvement in his imprisonment and torture in Sudan. Uh, so as part of reflecting on and addressing this case, I worked on an album of piano duets called Duets for Abdul Razik, which I recorded with a number of different musicians. So I will feature one that I played with Radwan Mumni and one that I played with Norman Navratsky as part of that album, which was part of an effort to uh, continue to ensure that there isn't silence on this case of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik. So thank you to Shireen Razik for the conversation a few years ago and to my co-host on that particular exchange, Sama Elabiari. This has been the 89th edition of Free City Radio. We share two new podcasts every week. 
thank you for um, listening and please spread the word uh, to your friends if there's anybody you think who would be interested in subscribing to the podcast um, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes now and we broadcast of course Wednesdays at 11am on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal Campus Community Radio I'm Stefan Christoph, and I'll talk to you soon take care mm-hmm.